you can keep that last line that Louise just sung to us, you still reign and you still God, uh, in mind as we read the next portion of Scripture that will do you well, um, for as Cliff has mentioned, uh, that is the theme uh, of the book of Revelation, the Lamb wins. And so let's turn in our Bibles, please, to Revelation uh, chapter 13, uh, Revelation chapter 13, and we're going to be reading together uh, from verse 1. Actually, what we're going to do is let's read from chapter 12 and verse uh, 18, uh, um, 17, sorry, chapter 12 and verse 17, and then we'll go straight into chapter 13, so you might have to just catch up um, when we get to verse 1. I'm going to read from chapter 12, verse 17. Then the dragon uh, became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold on to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. And follow with me from verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for forty-two months." It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints." Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. It also causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. Now this calls for wisdom. 
Let one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Well, this is God's word. Uh, Let's just pray again quickly as we commit our time to the Lord. Father, as we come before you now to hear you speak to us through your word, uh, as we come to uh, what at face value seems to be a very dark portion of Scripture, as we consider the dragon and his two beasts, uh, we pray that you would help us to see that which you would have us to know and understand from this portion of your word. Uh, Help me, I pray, Lord, as I open up this passage to explain it clearly, and I pray that you would be preparing our hearts to receive your word uh, and the implications of it in our lives, for we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you've already heard it this morning, but, but hopefully you've heard me say it enough times uh, that so far in the series in Revelation, that if anyone was to kind of wake you up in the middle of the night and, and shake you and say, what is the main book of, point of the book of the Revelation, um, that you would immediately in your sleep be able to say, the lamb wins, the lamb is all the glory, and then you just go straight back to sleep. The question is, do you really believe that? Is that truth really sinking into your heart? Or or is it perhaps more likely that if I came to you in the middle of the night, I would already find you awake, worrying over all the stuff that is going on in your life, which seems to be indicating that the dragon is winning. Maybe you're awake because you don't feel safe. We live in a country where corruption and lawlessness seems to be winning. Maybe you're awake because economically you're under such pressure that you are wrestling with the temptations to to cut corners and to cook the books. Maybe you're awake because of your concern for your children and their spiritual condition because the world in which your children are growing up in is getting more and more evil and more and more powerful by the day and yet your children do not see the destructive nature of its seductions. Well, today's passage of Scripture may not appear at first glance to offer us hope that the Lamb wins, but I hope to show you that it certainly does. Perhaps this morning your heart sighed as as I started reading in chapter 12, verse 17 about the dragon who who went off to make war against the, the woman and her offspring, who then summoned these two terrible beasts out of the sea and the earth to do his bidding to lead his persecutions against the church, against us as believers. You may have even reached the the end of this passage with the premature conclusion that the dragon wins. Let's come to God's word today and hear what Jesus wanted those early churches. Remember this letter, this book was written initially for those seven congregations in Asia Minor. And what did Jesus want them to know as they were facing real opposition, real persecution, and may well have been awake all night with doubts and questions and fears that keep us awake at night too? And so our section really continues straight on from chapter 12, uh, which we looked at last time a couple weeks ago, where the dragon, you will recall, we were told specifically that he is Satan. Uh, He pursued Jesus during his life on earth that he might devour him. Uh, But when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, Satan was struck with a death blow. 
Now, it was not a death blow which killed him immediately. It did not destroy him at that moment, but it was a a death blow which resulted in Satan being cast down to the earth. And so we read that in great fury, he then pursued the woman who we saw was the church of Jesus Christ corporately and the offspring of the woman, individual believers like you and me. And the previous chapter then ended with this dragon standing on the sea, uh, on the sand of the sea, or as we would say, on the seashore. Now in chapter 13, we see that John sees two beasts one rising out of the sea and one rising out of the land. And both beasts do the bidding of the dragon. And so from the start, we need to understand these two beasts in chapter 13 in relation to the dragon. They are not Satan, but they are Satan's agents here on earth, agents to whom he gives authority and power to persecute those who are the offspring of the woman, to persecute those who are the followers of Jesus Christ. Now, as we move on in our study next week, we will actually be introduced to a third player uh, in this terrible vision, who is the prostitute Babylon. Uh, She is only briefly mentioned next time in chapter 14, verse 8, Um, but her connection to the dragon and the beast will be more fully dealt with in chapter 17 and 18. But I, I mention her today to help you to see that there is a bigger picture of the dragon's attack against the church. Satan is after the people of God, collectively and individually, and his strategy is threefold. The persecution of the state, that's the first beast, through the deception of false religion, that's the second beast, and through the seduction of worldliness, uh, that is the prostitute Babylon that we will get to in future. But Today's passage focuses on the first two agents of of Satan's attacks against the church. And so firstly, we're going to consider the oppressive uh, power and might of national governments, so the persecution of the state. Uh, And then secondly, we're going to consider the control of people's hearts and minds through deception and false religion. And, and so in the first place this morning, Jean, if you can just bring that up for us, please, uh, I want us to consider the identity uh, and the nature of the first beast in verses 1 to 8. Now, as with all the visions that we've been considering in Revelation so far, I've tried to remind you and to show you every time that the principle for good biblical interpretation and understanding is to let God's Word interpret God's Word. And this is no different as we come to understand the meaning of this symbol of the two beasts. Remember that it is not a literal dragon which is standing on the seashore. The dragon we saw last time is Satan. The dragon is a visual picture, a vivid graphic that reveals to us the spiritual identity and nature of Satan. And so too we see in verse 1, not a literal beast rising out of the sea, but a symbol, a a vivid picture. It's painted for us, yes, in in bold colors, a, a bright image, as it were, on the tapestry of Revelation, where we will see that the strands again drawn to to weave this picture are pulled from the threads of the Old Testament. 
And so this beast which rises out of the sea, we are told, has seven heads uh, with blasphemous names on its heads. It has ten horns with ten crowns or diadems on its horns. And the beast, we are told, looked like a leopard with feet like a bear and a mouth like a lion. So who or what does this beast represent? Well, we don't really need to speculate because as I've said with so much in John's vision, the background to this this vivid image comes to us from Old Testament prophecy. And in this case, particularly the prophecy of Daniel chapter 7. Uh, We won't be able to read too much there, but maybe turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7, and I would encourage you to read that chapter this afternoon. But as you read Daniel chapter 7, you will see that Daniel saw a vision of what? Four beasts, four beasts rising out of the sea. One beast looked like a lion, another looked like a bear, the third beast looked like a leopard, and the fourth beast was the most terrifying of all because Daniel said it had ten horns. Now, Daniel, as you read that, you'll see, was clearly alarmed and confused by this terrifying vision. And so he inquires what the vision means. And he is told from heaven, these four great beasts, I'm reading Daniel 7 verse 17, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. But Daniel still wanted to know more. He was inquisitive, and and so he wanted to know more about the beast with the ten horns. What does that symbolize? And so he is told in verse 23, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones. He shall put down three kings. He shall speak words, listen to this, against the Most High. He has the the blasphemous words of the beast against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High. He shall pursue them, and he shall think to Change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand. For how long? For time, times, and half a time. Does that ring a bell? Here is the end of the matter, says Daniel in verse 28. As for me, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. My color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Come back to Revelation then. Uh, We see that John's vision is clearly drawn directly from Daniel chapter 7, where What we have in Revelation 13, this beast from the sea is really an amalgamation of all four of of Daniel's beasts into one. It's a combining, as it were, of the three lesser beasts into this one most terrifying beast with the ten horns. And so it's clear from, from, from Revelation 13 that this beast from the sea in John's vision then is the, the fulfillment or the culmination of this vision that Daniel had of the four beasts in his day. We know that the first three beasts in, in Daniel's time represented three states, three successive world powers. The lion was a reference to Babylon, uh, 
followed by the bear, which was a reference to the Medo-Persian Empire, followed by the leopard, which was a reference to the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great. But the fourth beast in Daniel's vision, that one was future. It was different. The fourth beast would take over the whole world and would specifically pursue the saints of God. And it's this beast which John is describing to us in Revelation 13. Now, for John, in his historical context, it would have seemed right and appropriate, logical to understand that this beast from the sea represents then the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire at the time of John, as he wrote Revelation, had effectively become a global world power. But history reveals that only a few hundred years later, it too came to an end. But what is clear from Daniel's vision, which John is drawing, is that the beast from the sea represents multiple kingdoms and multiple kings of this world. Those who exercise power over the nations and who with that power seek to pursue the offspring of the woman seek to persecute and destroy the people of God. This was true in Daniel's time. You read the book of Daniel. If you did not bow down to the idol of Nebuchadnezzar, you will be thrown into the lion's den. Worship this image of the beast in, in his day, and if not, you'll be thrown into the lion's den. So it was true in Daniel's day. It was true in John's time. And it's been true ever since Throughout the period of the church age, time, times, and half a time, Daniel says, or we have in verse 5, 42 months, the same period. And so the first beast then is Satan's agent on earth through the state, through the powers and authorities and kingdoms and kings, governments, presidents, military generals, dictators. We see the dragon gives his power and his throne and great authority to the beast of the state. Notice in verse 3, though, that we are told that one of the heads, one of the seven heads of this beast seemed to have a mortal wound, but it was healed. And, and we are told about this mortal wound three times in the vision, so it must be important. And we are told that the whole earth marveled as they worshipped the beast. Now what we miss perhaps in our English Bible is that the Greek actually says that one of the heads of the beast looked like it had been slain. It uses the exact same word that is used three times in chapter 5 to describe Jesus as the lamb who was slain but rose again. Now, there are various interpretations of this, but I think it's helpful to link this back to Genesis 3.15, where God promised that the offspring of the woman, who is Christ, would strike the head of Satan, would ultimately crush it. And we considered previously that with the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension into heaven, that Satan's head was, was struck a death blow, a mortal wound, and he was cast down to earth. Now we know that when Jesus returns, the final death blow will be struck when Jesus crushes the head of Satan forever. But until he returns, between the time that he was thrown down and the period of Jesus' return, 1,260 days, 42 months, three and a half years, 
we are told that the mortal wound appears to have healed. Satan gets what he's after. The world looks at the dragon thrown down and marvels in worship and adoration. Let's read verse 3. One of its heads seemed to have been slain, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? And so here we see then the nature of this beast. The identity is, is the state, generally speaking, but the nature of this beast is to draw the worship of the world to himself and ultimately to his, ultimate, to, to his master, which is Satan. As he parades his power and authority as he declares blasphemies against God and against God's people. Now look with me at verse 7. Verse 7 shows the connection with the previous chapter. We were told that Satan pursues the woman and her offspring. Satan hates the church. He hates us as believers. Now look at how he carries that out through the first beast, through the powers of governments and, and rulers and dictators. Verse 7 says, to make war on the saints of God to conquer them. This is the, the intention. This is the, the purpose of this beast. Now let me just say, one word of balance and caution. Yeah, we know from Romans chapter 13 that God has given us governments and kings and rulers and presidents for our good. Read Romans chapter 13 this afternoon. We are to honor them. We are to support the government. We are to help them to rule well with justice and integrity. But at the same time, Revelation 13 reminds us that, this, that Satan takes that authority that God has given to governments and rulers and corrupts it and distorts it in order to persecute the church, to use their power for evil instead of for good as they make war against the people of God. But please don't miss verse 8. At this kind of low and terrifying point in the vision, a vision similar to one which really made Daniel turn pale. When Daniel saw a similar vision, he said, my color changed. Um, we are reminded at this low point that the lamb wins. Where's that? Well, look at verse 7 and 8 with me. This beast was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given to it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. This is again one of these recurring encouragements in the book of Revelation. We are told in verse 7 that the beast conquers the saints, and yet we are told in the very next verse that our eternal salvation, our victory is secure because our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Think about this for a moment. What is the worst, the very worst that Satan can do to you? What is the worst that Satan's beasts can do to you or to me? The very worst he can do is to kill us. That's it. He can put us to death. 
but in our death we are victorious because the lamb has defeated death. He who rose and ascended into glory has sealed you. He sealed me if we are in Christ. Our salvation is secure and our resurrection is guaranteed. And so amazingly at this point, we have the most incredible words of encouragement to God's people who are suffering. These churches in Asia Minor, they were suffering great persecution. Some of them were being put to death by the Roman government, by the dragon and his beast from the sea. And what do we see in the second place, thanks John, is a call to persevere. A call to persevere in verse 9 and 10. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. You'll recall that from the letters to the seven churches. Again and again and again, John said, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. That was what Jesus said. Now we have that phrase again. It's, it's speaking to Christians. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. These verses are not the depressing words of a fatalist. K Sarah, Sarah. What will be, will be. No, these are the, the words of great encouragement to persevere in your faith. Persevere into prison. Persevere into exile, into poverty. Yes, even into death. Why? Because if your name is written in the book of life of the Lamb, we are told it is there from before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? That means that God has determined your salvation before this world even existed. And this raging lunatic of a dragon and his beasts, he has no power over you or me whatsoever. He cannot undo the eternal plans of God. Our eternity is guaranteed by the Lamb. And so God is sovereign over every government. Romans chapter 13 makes that clear. God is sovereign over every president and, and dictator and army general. And although Satan has now given them his power and authority, and he sends them on a mission to make war against the saints, their power and their scope is limited by God. We see in verse 5 and verse 7 that God allows them to exercise authority on this earth. God even, in verse 7, allows them to make war against the saints and to conquer them. But we belong to the Lamb. And while we may lose our lives for Christ, we will reign forever and ever and ever, Daniel reminds us, because the dragon and his beast have no authority in the heavenly realm. Remember chapter 12, he's been cast down to earth. He can no longer accuse us. And so because the Lamb wins, and here's the comfort in, in verse 9 and 10. Because the Lamb wins, if God has determined for you to be taken captive, to captivity you will go. If God has determined by his sovereign purposes that you will die as a martyr for the faith, then by the sword you will be slain. But because the lamb wins, because our names are written in his book, this is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. 
As the old hymn goes, onward Christian soldiers marching as to war, looking unto Jesus who has gone before. Now let's move on more briefly then to consider the second beast which John saw, uh, who makes up this final member of what I'm calling an unholy trinity, Satan, beast number one and beast number two, uh, in this opposition against God uh, and his people. And so in the third place, I want us to see the identity and the nature of the second beast. Now as we come to this section, I just love the way the book of Revelation ties just various pieces together as we kind of take a step back at times and we try and get our minds around all that we've been considering so far. Do you remember a couple of weeks back in chapter 10, uh, we considered the vision of the, the big angel with the little scroll? And we considered that that was Jesus standing with all rule and might and authority over the whole world. We saw him towering above the earth, one foot on the sea, one foot on the land. And he was reigning sovereignly. Now in this vision, starting in chapter 12, verse 18, the dragon is thrown down to earth. And what do we find? We find him standing on the seashore. He's trying to emulate the great and mighty angel, but the closest that the dragon can get is to stand on the seashore, one foot getting wet and one foot dry. Yes, he's ferocious, he's, he's impatient, but the point is he's tiny. He, he remains a, a limited, fallen creature. So what does he do? He needs to pursue the, the woman and her offspring, but he's not omnipresent. Satan can't be in more than one place at any time on this planet. So what does he do? He hatches a plan. He, he summons the first beast from the sea to exercise his wicked plan through governments and kingdoms. So now he's got a bunch of minions all over the world to pursue the church. But that's not the only part of his plan. The other part of his plan is much more subtle. And so he summons the second beast from the earth. Now the explanation uh, of the second beast is given to us directly in Revelation itself. We are told three times, uh, you can jot these references down, Revelation chapter 16, verse 13, chapter 19, verse 20, and chapter 20, verse 10, that this second beast is also called the false prophet. And so this second beast is Satan's agent in this world through false religion through deception, through false teaching, through idol worship, which draws people away from worshiping the true and the living God and to worship instead the dragon. Now with that in mind, the fact that Revelation tells us that the second beast is the false prophet, let's read these verses again and you'll see the, the meaning behind the symbols becoming very clear. Verse 11, then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work, in other words, miracles, by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to, to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword yet lived. 
And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. So let's just consider this for a moment. The second beast appears before us as a lamb. This is very different to the first picture of the terrifying beast with 10 horns. This beast has two little horns like a lamb, we are told. In other words, it's, it's so fluffy and, and cute. It seems so harmless. We want to just go up to it and cuddle it and pat it on the head. But then we read, it speaks like a dragon. Now, what does the speech of a dragon sound like? Well, Jesus tells us. Remember what Jesus said to the Jews of his day in John 8, 44? You are of your father, the devil, you belong to the dragon, Jesus said, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What does the voice of this lamb-like beast sound like? Lies, deception, and false teaching. It's the speech of the dragon. It's the speech of Satan. And so here we see the nature of the second beast. It's exactly the same as the first beast. We are told in verse 12 that it not only exercises the authority of the first beast, but it draws all the inhabitants of the earth to worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. Jesus died and rose again. Well, our beast died and rose again. Worship him. It's a false message. It's counterfeit. And so the goal of this second beast is, is the same as the first. It's to claim the worship of people. He's after you. He's after your heart. He's after your affections so that your worship will be directed away from God towards the dragon in his various shapes and forms. While the first beast drew worship through its great power and authority, this beast draws worship through the deception of false religion, miraculous signs. Notice how he deceives the nation, not only through dragon-like speech, but the ability to perform great signs. Signs which emulate some of the greatest miracles of the Bible. There's a clear reference here to Elijah calling down fire from heaven to prove that God was real. And here we are told that this dragon, uh, that this beast can do those kinds of signs and it deceives people. People on earth, just like the people of Israel made a golden calf, so this beast causes the earth dwellers to make images of the beast and to worship the image of the beast. Now, this should not surprise us because Jesus himself warned us in Matthew 24, verse 24, false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. In other words, what Jesus is saying, the elect can't actually be led astray, but everyone else will be led astray by these false Christs and false prophets. And Jesus says, see, I've told you beforehand, I've warned you about this. Don't be fooled. So just like with the persecution of the first beast, the, this beast of false religion is after saints. And anyone, we are told in verse 15, who does not worship the image of the beast, 
as in Daniel's day with Nebuchadnezzar, all those who are refused to be, be marked by this beast, you're either slain or you're prevented from buying and selling. In other words, if you do not buy into this beast's religious system, if you do not worship the beast, well, if you're not killed, then you'll be consigned to captivity in terms of material deprivation. You won't be able to buy or sell poverty, starvation. What does that look like in our day and age? Well, you'll be passed over for promotions. You'll be passed over in terms of employment selection. You'll be removed from positions of leadership and influence. Now, let me at this point just introduce an idea which I know many people have asked me about. What about the Antichrist? Now, although the Antichrist or this concept of the Antichrist is not specifically mentioned in Revelation, it is taught by Paul and John in various other places. We don't have time to explore that today, except that I would propose to you that what John is describing in chapter 13 with these two beasts is the same as what Paul teaches about the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and it's the same as what John teaches about the Antichrist in 1 John chapter 2 and chapter 4 and 2 John 7. If you go and read those passages today, you will see that the Antichrist exalts himself above all gods, proclaiming himself to be the God. He operates under the direct instruction and power of Satan. He performs all kinds of signs and wonders. He deceives all the wicked on the earth with his lies. We are told by John that while there is one final Antichrist that will come before Jesus returns, the whole history of the church is littered with many false Christs, many Antichrists. And we also are told by John and by Paul that the spirit of lawlessness or the spirit of the Antichrist is at work in any state or power or authority where the deity of Jesus Christ is denied and where people deny his imminent return. And those who proclaim themselves as God demanding the worship of their followers. So with that additional background of the Antichrist, what are we then to make of this mark of the beast in verse 18. And so in the final place today, I want us to see a call to wisdom. A call to wisdom in verse 18. Now, sadly, um, if you Google the mark of the beast, if you speak to many Christians about the mark of the beast, it seems that verse 18a is missing in those people's Bibles. Because what you will hear tends to largely be void of any wisdom whatsoever. So let me start here by reminding you that this is not the first time that we've encountered a marking of people on their foreheads, is it? No, back in chapter 7, verse 3, we saw that the servants of God, the 144,000, we were sealed by God on our foreheads. Again, in Revelation 9, verse 4, we saw that when this demonic swarm of locusts came out of the abyss, they were unable to harm those who had the seal of God on their foreheads. And look with me at the very next verse, following verse 18. Go with me to chapter 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him the 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. 
And so sandwiched in between all of these references to the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ being marked or, or sealed with the name of God on our foreheads, in the middle we have this reference to the mark of the beast being given to all those who worship the beast. As I explained previously, the seal of God on a believer is a mark of ownership. It's a mark of identity. And so too, this is exactly the context and the understanding of the mark of the beast in Revelation 13. It's given, we are told, to all those, every single human being, rich or poor, slave or free, great or small. Everyone who worships the beast, they are given the mark of his identity. They worship the beast because they belong to the beast. But please remember that this is just another symbol in John's vision. And so just as the seal of the Holy Spirit on a believer's forehead is a picture for this indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, so the mark of the beast is not a physical barcode or a numerical tattoo or a credit card with a chip in it or a 5G cell phone or dare I even say it, the COVID vaccination. This is a word picture for every person who is not indwelt by the Holy Spirit, whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. And so what does wisdom tell us about the number of the beast? Well, verse 18 says to us, literally in the Greek, that it is man's number, namely 666. Now here, unfortunately, I think our English translations have done us a disservice because most of our English translations say that it is a man's number. Now, the minute you say that it is a man's number, everyone gets caught up to look for who's the man? Who's the man with the mark? focuses our attention on an individual instead of simply saying it as John puts it in the Greek, it is man's number. It is the number of humankind. And this fits much more logically, much more naturally with the reading of the text, as well as with the whole storyline of the Bible. We are told in verse 8 that the beast has authority over every tribe and people and language and nation, all who dwell on the earth except one group except those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 17, verse 8 also says that those who've not had their names written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel at the beast. In other words, they will be caught up with him. They'll worship the beast. And so this mark of the beast is an identity given to all those who worship the beast, all those who are outside of Christ. And what is the mark of the beast? It is the number of man. It's the number of humanity. It's those who are born of the flesh. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus? Those who are born of the flesh are flesh. But those who are born of the spirit are spirit. So the Bible is clear. There are ultimately only two representative heads who determine the destiny of all humanity. There's the first Adam, and there is the second Adam, who is Jesus. In Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 15, make it clear that all who belong to the first Adam die, and all those who belong to the second Adam, who is Jesus, we live. 
So if you are not a Christian today, I'm glad that you're in church, glad that God brought you to church today to listen to this message. But guess what? You're already marked. You bear the identity of the beast on your life. As Jesus said to those Jews in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil. You belong to him. Your will is to do his desires. You lie because he lies. You steal and cheat and lust because he steals and cheats and lusts. Your identity is in him. Oh, how Satan must laugh at us as Christians where entire denominations are splitting because we're debating whether the COVID vaccine is the mark of the beast. Satan loves this. It distracts us from what is real and what is dangerous. So let me close by telling you how to discern the mark of the beast versus the, the seal of the spirit. And Paul does it for us in Galatians 5. So let me just read it to you. Galatians 5 verse 16. Paul says, But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, so we've got a, the spirit and the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other. There's a war going on, a spiritual war to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. Now listen to what he says. Now the works of the flesh could just as easily be translated, now the mark of the beast is evident. Not a barcode, not a chip, not a vaccination. Here's the mark of the beast. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Your name's not written in the Lamb's book of life if you live like this. But the fruit of the Spirit, the mark of the Spirit, the seal of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There are only two groups of people alive in the world. Those who bear the mark of Satan, 666, which is the mark of humanity, three times imperfection. Or you bear the mark of Jesus, 777, three times perfection, the seal of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 7, beware of false teachers, false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They look like a lamb. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. They speak like a dragon. How will you recognize them? By their fruits. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and it's thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Can I make this personal? I will be recognized by my fruits you will be recognized by your fruits. What does your fruit, what does my fruit say about who we belong to? Do we belong to the dragon or do we belong to the lamb? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, 
We want to thank you for another insight into the spiritual realm, the spiritual dimension of the world in which we live. And we want to thank you again this morning for the truth that the Lamb wins. That all those who are marked, who are sealed with the name of God and the name of Jesus over our lives, our names have been written in the Lamb's book of life from before the foundation of the world. And though we may even die on this earth, our victory eternally is secure. And so this is a call for perseverance and for faith of the saints. Lord, help us to be aware of the dragon and his schemes. Help us to be aware of his deceptions and all his attempts to control us and to manipulate us in this world. Help us to remember that our identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. And help us uh, as good soldiers to persevere as we follow after him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.